Thank you for joining us tonight in the Creepypasta Book Club, the podcast where we read, analyze, and discuss significant creepypastas, no sleeps, and web horror flash fiction. We are your hosts, Jonah. And Wednesday. And today, we are discussing Plaid Russell's I Just Bought My Childhood House. Now this one, sort of before we get into it, I had some difficulty finding this one again because this person has nuked their account from orbit that's it's so wild this story is deleted their account is fucking empty except like one post in anti-work which has also had all the content deleted off of it it's very strange if you know anything about it like let us know I remember seeing this, like, creepypasta, like, wall-to-wall everywhere, so I wonder if it was, like, a I-don't-want-people-reading-my-stuff-like-that kind of thing. Maybe. I'm not... But, like, if something happened, it'd be really cool to know. Yeah. Like, like, I'm not sure if it was a reaction to... Because the only place where this is preserved in full anymore is through readings. Yeah. Because it is not archived properly on yeah there's, anywhere there's a there's a there's a creepypasta wiki archive thing yeah where they they copied Not it incorrectly well so like the third entry is just a repeat of the first entry again so so i had to go and and do an yeah, audio yeah 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 version of this like right away like we've been talking about like creepypasta readers as unintentional archivists yeah. and how there's like <laughs> a current like dispute between like people who make the content and then like people who adapt the content but like this is like a reason why it's good because people can like vanish off the internet for any like reason at all and then this work is just lost forever i'm sure we can way back machine it which would be a shame because like i know for me personally like this this story it, it it hits pretty hard yeah We'll get into the summary of it right now. I Just Bought My Childhood Home is about a man purchasing his childhood home, which his parents had sold once their children moved out. And then they shortly afterwards passed away from cancer. He rediscovers this strange tunnel in the attic, which he and his brother had first found as children, but been warned away from. He's sort of fascinated by it and he begins to try to explore first the house like each level including the basement and then the tunnel itself it doesn't seem to serve any function and by all rights it kind of shouldn't be able to fit inside the house and climbing down he discovers this spiraling chamber many miles deep under their house that is as it turns out massively radioactive and at the final end of the chamber, his father's dead, preserved body lies, covered in some kind of strange snow. And he realizes that the father he spent most of his life with is an imposter or shapeshifter that conducts extreme radiation that killed the real father and escaped, and eventually poisoned the mother to her death from cancer, and is now walking around freely. The narrator knows he has very little time left to live due to radiation poisoning and decides to go back down into the tunnel to die beside his father's body. So, like, this one, this is one of the best written ones. Yeah, of the I best. think that we have covered so far. The writing's just fun, you know? It's, oh, it's fun, yeah. Okay, we have, like, 
picked out like ones that are like really fun written in between ones that are sort of like iconic and this is like a newer one so it's not really like people's foundation creepypastas but this is such a like a standout oh it rocks you you know yeah it's 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 really it's really interesting like the author captures sort of this tone really well Mm -hmm. the narration is very bouncy and like immature Mm -hmm. feeling in in a way that is sort of like just right for this tone yeah like not someone who's trying to like show off writing chops and someone who's like relaying this story to you with urgency and like intrigue yeah and like excitement I have, okay, re-listening to this, I think the first thing you, like, can notice about the guy being, like, a bit of an unreliable narrator, or that something is up in general, because I have have theories, is that, um, the house isn't in the family's will. It sounds like they've owned the house and, like, the bank repossessed it, right? No, that was, that was after, that was the original family that owned the house, and then his parents bought it from the bank. Yeah, 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 but, like, how do his parents... The house is not in the will. There's not, like, an estate that passes over to him. He has to buy the house. They had already sold it before they died. Yeah, like, I think that's, like, that's, like, a tip-off that something is up here with the story, because people don't tend to do that. I'm not sure what you mean. They they sold it because they were empty nesters, which is, like, a a thing that I I know... fairly common thing like they they your kids move out so you sell the big house that you don't need anymore and you move into like a smaller place that fits your needs like that's just like a kind of common like it's like it's probably a cultural difference depending on like different parts of of the u.s but like true maybe because i knew where the story was going it just sort of stood out to me that like he had to go out of his way to purchase a family home that like is sort of implied that's already in their name yeah, because cause they had sold it to another family who stayed there for a couple of years and then put it back on the market. Yeah, it just, like, it, like, sticks out in the way that, like, you you know that there's something up with the house that they need to sell it. And, like, I guess you can, like, tuck it under the logic of, like, them being empty nesters and it's not really, like, alarming. But I think in, like, the context of the story, that's supposed to be, like, a bit of, like, a an early, like, story hint, right? A little, like, a a lean-to about it. I think it fits into the story logic, where, like, we know that this entity does not want to be put back in the basement and and wants Mm -hmm. to, like, get away from the house. But, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know... Because, like, we're we're supposed to be tipped off by the fact that he finds a a weird thing in the attic. That's, like, one of the first Mm -hmm. things that he introduces to us. So, like, we're already getting, like, oh, something is wrong with the house. Yeah. I just, it's just something that stood out to me, like, especially, like, with a family that had monetary problems, like, to keep the house during the monetary problems and then not leaving it after, like, the events that occur during the story. It's something that just, like, stuck out as, like, unusual, you know? Yeah, I guess. Uh, like, the, the, that's something that I never really thought about, because, like, the the logic of, of moving out of the out of the house when the kids went to college is, like... Nice, normal, yeah. Like, it just never would have occurred to me to think, like, oh, that's weird. 
Uh, I guess, like, yeah, I guess it's, like, a, a cultural difference, is that, like, you pass your family's home down to, like, the next generation, because you've, I guess, too, because they, like, leave for college and go do other things, and they don't, like, move in and help their, like, elderly parents at all. It's just sort of, like, secondhand, so it <laughs> does make more sense that it's, like, not a part of their life anymore. He's he's still pretty young. Like, he's in his 20s. Yeah, 20s. And, yeah. and, and the fact that he can buy the house is just because, like, it's, he yeah. got a really good job Lucky. right out of college. I have here, like, when he goes, moves, his, he, like, moves back into his house and comments, he's like, I can now have the house exactly the way I want it with snacks and stuff. And, like, the yeah. idea that you, like, regress in a familiar space, like, that, that you'd want to do that. He's trying to return to this sort of, like, idyllic childhood, which that is is a thing that I think <laughs> is is one of supposed to be, like, the earliest moments where you're like, oh, something's not right here. Yeah, something's, something bad happens here. Because, like, nobody, nobody's like, oh, I need to recapture this, this, like, childhood moment that I never got to have, unless something, like, kind of fucked up happened in your childhood. And he, and he goes on and on throughout the early parts. He's like, oh, my, 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 my parents were great. My dad was great. I love my dad so much. Like, he, he never did anything wrong. And then towards the end, we find out, like, oh, no, the dad was, like, borderline abusive after being replaced. Yeah, I have, like, thoughts about that. The idea of the house and, like, what happens is, like, a cycle of abuse. Mm-hmm. Like, speaking of the kind that gets passed down from father to son in this sort of way, and, like, a yeah. frame is up, and like, the abuse that he endures and, like, the abuse that his dad does is framed as, like, a masculine heroic act. We have sort of this cultural idea around abuse and like people saying like you you inherited your father's temper right the, yeah. that's like a story cliche that mm-hmm. we get and and it feels like it belongs here yeah that's that's where a lot of the vibe of this story is i mm-hmm. think like inheritance of what we get from our parents of what this person specifically has gotten from mm-hmm. his parents and like trying to reckon mm-hmm. with yeah, the yeah. fact that, cause, 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 this is a story about abuse fundamentally. Like, it is, it is a story about a radioactive monster, but it's yeah. also a story about like one day my dad was different and he was like shitty to my mom and shitty to me and my and my sibling and we didn't understand what was going on and it was like linked with his financial problems and him feeling emasculated and like yeah. I, I I've sort of pushed that out of my mind and I try not to think about it but now I'm like I'm finding out this horrible yeah. thing like about my family it's it, it is about poison being under your house yes I have like like a bunch of different thoughts like to talk under that kind of like concept there's there's a post that's floating around that i read recently and some like i'm sure you've seen it i don't uh, i can't quote who it's by <laughs> off the top of my head but like it's framing like trauma especially like childhood trauma as like a dreadful horror concept and like the healing of that and like how this manifests in stories like it just starts with a strange door right like, an injury that starts with, like, a scab or something, and you can't, like, see the depths of, like, the pain or the injury because you're still, like, yeah focused on that. And the rapidness to which it, like, unfolds is, like, ego-shattering for this person. Yeah, like, at the end, he basically decides to, like, consign himself to die on the hill of believing that his father was not 
you know, like, because, because that imposter was with them for the majority of his life. Yeah. Like, that, that is the only version of his father that he knew. That he has memory of, yeah. From age 11 forward, at least. Yeah. To, to your, an earlier point in that thing is, like, the loss of the job with the father and, like, the way it destables the family and how this is a story essentially about capitalism and, like, how you can thread it through, like, unsafe work conditions. Like, you leave your 2.5 fam- nuclear family, if you will, and, like, bring back unsafe Oh, material. my God. Right? Yeah? That just hit me. Yeah? Oh, my God. Yeah? <laughs> like, you go to your workplace, even it's a white-collar job, but, like, I feel like it's suggested that the, go- the father has a blue-collar job. It just feels like that yeah. vibe even like but even a white collar job they mentioned him going to like a construction job yeah. or something later on you leave and come back to this sterile home environment with like contaminants it's like constructed in society that you have no real connection to these people that you've built your life around because you were told to to make someone else money culturally like yeah. part of the pain of growing up is like finding out that your parents are like people and like usually that kind of narrative is framed around the mother like learning that she is her own person with her own feelings that don't revolve around you in any way or that you know your mother made these sacrifices to her life or to her career or whatever to have you and the guilt we associate with that like learning the deprivation and and pain your mother went through to give birth to you and allow you to live the way you did like that's something that we see come up a lot in narratives about generational trauma but but this is very much about finding out that the father was like a real person with flaws and like that that you can't ignore the way that that fucked you up as a child yeah because it's like damaging you to the extent like and either you like face it and like heal with it or you like continue down i think it's really cool and like maybe it's a little heavy-handed but the way he mentions spiral before we get like he feels like he himself is spiraling before we get to the physical spiral of the house i think that was really cool (laughs) even if it's like a little heavy-handed i think it's cool there's a lot of stuff, like, because because it sort of works on this mm-hmm. level of, like, being a literal thing, mm-hmm. it, it also makes it feel like it's not being too much, even mm-hmm. though it's, like, when you lay the metaphor out, it's like, oh, yeah, that's really obvious. But also, like, he builds up the physical space of the thing in such a way that it, mm-hmm. it feels like more than just the metaphor of it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. Going back to, like, what I was trying to get at with, like, the will and stuff is that we do get a lot of, like, detail about the family, two families prior who originally owned the house and how they did pass it from, like, person to person and, like, dying out and how they're, like, treated in the stories, like, weird and oddy when, like, they managed to keep the pain and, like, the wealth of, like, micro land ownership within their, like, containment. They eventually, like, cut the cycle short by not like having children or passing the house on the bank eventually gets it so the bank is the source of like continuing this like cycle of violence essentially by putting the house back on the market and like having more people sucked into a situation that's like toxic 
I don't know. I like I would have to think about that a bit, okay. I think. He he spends like some time discussing the history mm-hmm. of the 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 original owners, like the original people trying to keep the thing under wraps. I'm not sure how much that how much we should read into oh, that's true, I guess. like the abuse metaphor with that family and how much that is just part of like the set dressing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like in the way that like we also get like an understanding that this is about like money issues, right? And like people used to like pass on things instead of like you yeah. chasing this kind of idealism of like house shifting and stuff is like I think what I was getting at with that to get back to, like, the door and stuff. Like, even how, like, they're in front of the door, him and his, like, spelunking friend, they, like, have a fight about stuff, like, a really intense fight for the story. Like, we get, like, a lot of details about it. All they are is, like, just centered around the door. I don't know. Maybe you can, like, thread the idea of, like, this conflict of capital with it or just, like, the door rep... Just, like, this space represents, like, toxic behavior. Because the narrator, the reason that they have this fight is that the narrator wants to go down by himself. That is the reason why he invited Steve to come over. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who has the equipment to dive into this thing. And and he plans to essentially just like be able to mm-hmm. use that equipment. Hey, I have a theory that OP knew at the start that his father was off. And like, he's not letting us know ahead. Like... Like, this story has a lot of, like, subtle... We're told exactly what's happening, but he's not, like, hand-feeding it to us. It's just sort of, like, unfolding. I I kind of think that maybe, like, OP knows his father is not correct, and he thinks that going down into the tunnel, he can find, like, the truth of what happened. Like, he's not terribly surprised he sees his father's body as the thing, and he doesn't present it as, like, a horrible shock. I feel like he, like, knows ahead of time that his body is still in this house. He definitely, at at least within, like, the active metaphor, this is a story about him learning to accept that what happened when he was a child was, like, fucked up and not acceptable. Yeah. Like, Like, it's something that he knows, but he is sort of not willing to engage with that idea mm-hmm. because it is some kind of, like, betrayal of his his to his dad yeah or family as a whole i guess too because he's really like apologetic to his mother and brother but like he didn't do this he didn't build the house he didn't like make the radiation to get radiation poisoning from (laughs) like he just was there yeah like he's he's taking too much responsibility like he feels you know that he did something wrong when it's when it's implied that the father had discovered that place in the attic and and had and had been killed and replaced before they found the the tunnel because the imposter is the one who sealed it up i, I think it's it's cool too that we get like a, a beast like a monster without like its stats <laughs> being given to us like we know all about it and stuff yeah no stats on this thing other than it's like radioactive extremely radioactive yeah and we get given like a number which is Silly, and I've and I've seen like like a little bit of debate between people saying like, okay, well maybe this is what he meant, like trying to be generous uh, with him because like yeah. the thirty seven thousand whatever is like 
not a realistic, like, you would melt. You would die. You would just, like, you wouldn't wa- be able to walk back out. You would out. die and explode. Like, okay, <laughs> radiation stories really do something to me, and I'm not sure how to describe <laughs> what it is. It's like, you know when there's a concept and you want to, like, push it into your skin? <laughs> like, does that, does that mean anything? Like, radiation and cancer are, like, really powerful pieces of imagery. yeah. I was really afraid of cancer when I was a lot younger. I mean, you should probably be a, have a healthy fear of cancer, period. I was, like, 12 and, like, hand-fisting, like, flaxseed into my body because I thought that would stop cancer <laughs> from happening. I know that, that my family has a, uh, has, like, a like a history of, of types of cancer on mm-hmm. both sides, for me, the thing that, like, makes this story hit the way that it does is, like, a little bit not even related to, like, the idea of, of mm-hmm. cancer necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, my dad had a... Oh, yeah. Like a, like, a degenerative brain disease, basically. And, and they believe that it was, like, it was caused by... Mm-hmm. That just eventually, like destroyed his brain like and so he developed alzheimer's and died at a young age and like his 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 personality began changing like even even when my my sibling and i were were still young so like seeing a similar kind of thing be sort of uh hashed out in this story yeah it really it resonates a lot like it's a hard thing to go through and it's like it's it's like a complicated because he was like he was never a, never a very good guy in the first yeah, place. Yeah, like how do you like how yeah mental health stuff runs in my family too. That's like a different thing, but like stuff like dementia and stuff like that. And like how do you hash that out when the person's already like not a great person to start with? Yeah, when they're already kind of nasty. Yeah, what's a person like? What's a personality shift in someone who's like? nasty since you've been since you've been sentient enough to know them right like (laughs) how can you tell someone's like becoming a monster or whatever if they're already kind of like a douchebag you know (laughs) the way the narrator talks about his father is like not really a relatable thing for me because, like... But, like, we get this idea that he's, like, maybe glossy about it. Like, like he's not telling the truth about it. Yeah. Because, like, even even from, like, a relatively young age... Like, my, my parents mm-hmm. got divorced when I was in high school. Uh, so yeah. I, like, I was, I was made aware of the fact that, like, he was not a, a nice guy due to, like, all the stuff that surrounded that. Like, to thread that into the story, not to use that to thread it back into the story... The monster comes out, right, and he starts being really close with the mom, and you get kind of, like, the sense that, like, these people shouldn't be together at all, and, like, the monster represents, like, the stickiness of, like, unable to leave this family model. The the monster only, or, like, the, 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 the doppelganger of the father only starts, like, clinging to the mom really strongly when she is dying. Yeah. Like, until then, he had been very, like, distant- because, like, he had no positive feelings towards these people. He had no connection to mm-hmm. them. He had probably, like, resentment for them, you you assume. Because, like, 
he has been living in the dark for hundreds of years. Now, like, here's this, like, family that's, like, unhappy, but, like, not being, like, kept in a cage, I guess? It's, like, the literal cage of the, the basement is reflected in the sort of, like, emotional cage that the father is or feels that he is being kept in, being, like, bound to this family that he resents. And that's that's kind of like a, like a narrative about men, particularly straight mm-hmm. men, that we have in our culture. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, the old ball and chain. Yeah, like, it's very much that kind <laughs> of story, I think. The son cannot cope with that. Like, cannot cope with the idea that, like, he was... A burden and was not loved by what what is essentially his father who went through a transformation like he tells us like okay I think it's like he tells us he's doomed and like basically doomed from the start and it's like this resignation because instead of being like realistic and like tarnishing the image he has of his family and his father he chooses to like die about it instead (laughs) He hears the Geiger counter, and he tries to convince himself, like, okay, that that's probably normal. That's probably just, like, <laughs> like a, like, like a tiny bit of radiation. What harm can it be? And he keeps going and going and going, and he says, like, to himself, well, it's already too late now. I have to get to the end of the tunnel. It's like, the fro- <laughs> it's like a frog boils in a pot kind of, like, story, yeah. but with, like, radiation. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's it's the same kind of way of, like, the way that, like, people who live in abusive situations mm-hmm. sort of justify the experience that they went through, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, like, everybody's parents fight sometimes. That's normal. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really telling because, like, the closer we get to the dad's dead body is, like, the more honest he gets with, like, the stories, but he's still not yeah. willing to let go of, like, the image of a perfect dad. Yeah. He is clinging to this idea that, like, no, like, my dad was great. My dad was a, was a good person. And he loved us. And he came down here trying to make sure that we were safe. Yeah, we instead of being like, hey, my dad was a bag of dicks, he put his own curiosity in front of the safety of the family and then died down here like a loser. <laughs> or even, like, like, getting to the point of accepting... The fact that for most of his life, his father was the imposter. That's, th- th- that is something that he is not willing to contend with because, like, because there's a body and he can see it with his own two eyes. That there is this, 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 this unspoiled figure that, 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 that he can idealize down here. Yeah, it is freeze-framed in, like, the last pleasant memory of this man in his life. It is the frozen, like, childhood fantasy of like this fun cool dad he used to have down in this radioactive basement <laughs> i have like a lot of like this and that's about the story that don't like tie neatly together like there's a bunch of stuff in the story that i feel like it's hard to state how they make me feel like something that really gets me is spaces not found in blueprints I know this is gonna sound silly, but like that's what scares me the most in Amityville Horror. Is the fact that <laughs> I have not seen Amityville Horror actually. Oh really? Oh, you should read the book. The book is a lot more interesting, I yeah. think. But like the movie's okay. 
and like the remakes are okay, but like something about the, the book is just the book is so like buck wild. It's just balls to the walls, like the first page <laughs> to the last, compared to like the movie, which is insane, right? Because the movie was made like whenever when people were doing fuck all. So like, but like the idea that there's like a cavity or like a cancer or like a just a space in a building that's not in the blueprint, so you don't know what's for, is really scary to me. I think, and I don't really know why. Yeah. I, I, I compared in my notes to House of Leaves, yeah, right? Like, that's yeah. kind of the same core anxiety of House of Leaves. Yeah. And, and, and that's the same, like, active metaphor for that book as well. Like, there's something horrible in this domestic space that you cannot cope with. Like, if you strip away, like, the formatting techniques, the story feels like a more refined and polished version of House of Leaves. Without having to go through all of the bullshit that House of Leaves entails. Yes, this is like, if you want House of Leaves and don't want to, like, read a bunch of nonsense, <laughs> go read this instead. Because like, <laughs> the best part of House of Leaves is the Navidson record yeah, itself. Yeah, hands down. This is the Navidson record. This strips away all of the horseshit. This is just the Navidson record. This has the, so this has the trauma of Johnny's stuff while not leaving the records, and it also has the intimacy that sometimes the records gets into, but not really enough that it feels, mm-hmm. like, focused enough. I felt like the um, the way that he and his friend were interacting, like, that's my favorite part, I think, of the Navison records, is, like, the way these people interact and explore, but sometimes it just feels like name-dropping, and, like, I know <laughs> this part of the industry and stuff, and that's, like, really, like, whatever, compared to, like, the sort of, like, care that he's taking in with this, like, exploration. And also I have, um, in my notes is that I think it's interesting the way glow sticks come up in this, like, genre of Euclidean architecture navigation, especially with this story, (laughs) because glow sticks are, like, we have contained hazardous chemical for our enjoyment (laughs) in a little plastic tube, so I think it's fun that it's used to explore, like, things that represent this kind of danger. The sort of stereotypical image of something that is radioactive is something green and glowing, which is something that we also associate with, like, a glow stick. Yeah, oh, it's just really cool to me whenever a glow stick appears. It's just, like, <laughs> ironic, I guess. Yeah, and it's, and it's probably, like, an accidental kind of thing. It's just, like, oh, yeah. these are just, like, two images that are, that are, yeah. that are symmetrical. Like they, like, they rhyme. Yeah, like, people aren't thinking about, I'm sure most people aren't thinking about it, because it's just, like, the conveniency of, like, a 99-cent glow stick, you crack it up and throw it down, <laughs> but, like, the fact that we have glow sticks at all and they're in our, like, daily lives is wild. Also, <laughs> though, so I think the author of this one might have thought a little bit about it, because he brings up a mercury thermometer later, and what is that but, like, mercury in a, like, a containment, yeah. like... Yeah, also a toxic material. That we made, we have made, like, use of in, like, a really fragile containment unit thing because like i'm pretty sure most modern thermometers don't actually use mercury yeah mercury anymore yeah i don't think like even even if they are the ones that like rise and fall yeah so like the fact that they went out of their way to use a mercury thermometer because they're probably not that yeah that that he specified a mercury thermometer saying a thermometer would suffice and like and like this is past the point i'm pretty sure where he has Mm -hmm. said like oh there was radiation down here it brings a home. It is these these repeated themes of toxicity, holding holding something 
really toxic to humans in a tiny space. Just like, you know, this bunker and kind of just like their home. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. Another one of the things that hit me was the, when the mother is dying, the scooter bit. Yeah. Like, I don't think it is, it is particularly symbolic of anything other than like, this is the moment where the narrator is realizing that this thing was not quote unquote his father or or, or this thing did not love him or, or, or understand him, did not remember this precious like childhood memory that he has and like at, at at the time he he is able to rationalize it as like oh my dad is also getting sick. sick yeah like the story hits in so many different ways it has like a reread value that a lot of creepy pastas don't have like these things mean something different after you yeah. get to the end of the story i made note of like the cranking um flashlight i feel like this story has a lot of like textures that are almost like video gamey without dipping really hard <laughs> into a video game nature right yeah like it like it doesn't feel like a video game but it's like it's, it's something that you can very easily it's a very visual kind of story like yeah. he's he's he uses very strong images like like we get this sort of mental picture of like first this steep spiral that comes yeah. into this landing and then this landing continues to have this like four plus mile like slightly sloped spiral all the way down to the very end where the room is like wide and and (laughs) expansive and cavernous and developing snow from moisture that he cannot even identify where it would come from it's like a visual treat of a story that that's another one of the things that makes it kind of such a shame that yeah it has been deleted and that this person seems to have like Vanish from the anime. Kind of disavowed the story. Is that like it is? It's a really good story. A lovely story. Yeah, it's intense. It makes me wonder if this wasn't like a legitimate personal story, and then it got like a lot of attention, and they were like, yeah. "Hey, um, never mind, never mind all this. Bye." <laughs> yeah, like like if this meant something on an emotional level to the author, and then people sort of taking it in that like creepypasta fandom way, no-sleep fandom way, and, like, bashing it into the ground, and it was suddenly, like... Because, like, that that sucks. Like, when you expose something really personal in your art, and then other people either, like, don't get it, or are weird about it. What if I did porn of the monster and also (laughs) read this really obnoxiously, and, like, what if it was, like, trending all over the place, and you were like, oh, I... I had shared some personal details about myself in there, and I need to go right now. <laughs> this guy, like, like if he's out there, like, like I hope he knows that he's good at what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, story guy. Or and, that, and that this wasn't like a because de- like the other thing that I could see him deleting it for is feeling like oh like this thing was bad like this Yo, thing didn't come out true. like I wanted it to which it was is good. like good no this is like one of the best yeah it was good it was really good this is legitimately <laughs> the best story we're reading this season <laughs> there's 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 one that we have on the docket that I think is oh is true you either like, like okay 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 better or at least like also like. Like sticks in my mind is like a this stronger is, thing. This is definitely an A, uh, uh, an A S ca- area. The story there's like other <laughs> S category stories, but this is like in the A S range for me. Like this, this is pro- I, I would say this is probably like one of my favorite no sleep type stories yeah. just in general. 
because everything about it works for me. It's it's yeah, it's just some really good story. And it's and it's very readable. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like, nice. That's another problem with a lot of, especially like like because this is recent. A lot of modern pasta is fucking unreadable. Yeah, even when it has ideas and is interesting, They're insufferable. It's awful. It's, just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's dire out there, guys. <laughs> where, where this is like, it has the kind of tone of voice. It reminds me of like a YA book or something. Yeah, I have a note here. That, like, everything falls apart so fast, right? And I think yeah. this is something that a lot of writers, not even just creepypasta writers, but, like, writers in general fail to do, is that this guy, this this person knows enough about writing to start closest to the end as possible. And I know this is, like, a general sweeping yeah. blanket statement, but that's just, in general, good form to start as close yeah. to the end as possible. And he just does especially it. Especially if, if you're doing, like, a short kind of story. Yeah, especially, like, short horror, too. Like, what keeps suspense and what keeps the story going is, like, the fact that you know that you are one step away from the end of the story. <laughs> yeah, like, there is kind of a self-aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people, especially who are not as strong in their just, like, mm-hmm. technical writing mm-hmm. they want to start a story off with like all of this exposition and make sure that you are like you are endeared to their character and that you care so much about this person's boring day this one it comes right in with like with borderline paul brothers mania getting hyped about this weird hole he found in his attic and so excited to share something like exciting in his life with reddit and what carries it through is that we get so much personality from the writing because, like, we can tell that this person is, like, this sort of, like, immature little bouncy, like, golden retriever of a guy. You get so much in, like, every space. Like, every sentence feels like it's doing something. Yeah, with what you're saying, a lot of people have enough understanding of writing that you need, like, a, a intro, a body, and a conclusion that's, like, what you learn in, like, eighth grade and not necessarily <laughs> what you need to do as, like, a writer making a story. There's this... <laughs> in a in a class that I took mm-hmm. in university, mm-hmm. the, the, the professor that I had said basically, like, about essay writing, but I think yeah. that this also applies strongly to creative writing mm-hmm. as well, that, like, there is a tendency among weaker writers or Mm -hmm. less confident writers to want to go for a a funnel structure with your opener you Mm want to start with 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 like the broadest possible thing and then narrow it down Mm -hmm. for like an example in an essay about mushrooms you know you start with something really really broad like vague to the point of meaninglessness many different species of mushrooms exist on the planet earth and then you start to whittle it down until you're talking about the specific mushroom species you're supposed to be writing the essay about but and meanwhile you have just wasted so much attention time space and goodwill from your reader by not engaging them with the core of your essay right from the start and it just weakens it you have to resist a funnel opener because, like, you need to start as punchy as possible if you want to have an actual hook. Yeah, like, 
back in the day this was pretty common like writer knowledge and I feel like it's gotten lost and like I don't know why but like yeah the funnel thing like people want to do like a general statement and like narrow it down but, like back in <laughs> France the... is one of the countries of the world yeah yeah but like back in the day was really common like espouse writer I always say back in the day but like whatever like 10 years ago like really established like writing thing is like you are going to lose your reader if your set if your opener isn't as strong as possible because they can go do something else like it was a story like this is like i don't know i read this somewhere it was probably a, like <laughs> i hope it wasn't on writing by stephen king i hope i read something somewhere <laughs> else but it might have been so here's my mea koopa but like if you're writing about a sex story then you should be fucking in the first chapter if you were writing about a murder mystery, then the murder mystery should be found in the first chapter. Like, yeah. your first chapter should be wasted on exposition because exposition should be found within the story to get your story from A.1 to A.2 and not, like... Like, no one cares about your story as much as you do. No one's going to open your book and be like, wow, I can't wait to learn about lore in the first page because that's not what they're there for. <laughs> Exactly. Like, you are more invested in your story than basically anyone else will ever be. And you should be invested, but you can't share that with others because others don't care. <laughs> so you have to resist the urge to... You have to look at your story from the perspective of an outsider. Someone who does not have these characters and scenarios already, like, invested in their heart. Yeah. And, like, people will be interested in your lore... If you make a story that they can resonate with to start with. Yeah, and, like, characters that they find interesting. Yeah. Your story has to stand out... Like, your story has to be so, like, stable that can withstand not being hand-delivered intricacies of your internal workings. <laughs> Just for another, like, you're... The thing about like like oh like there should be fucking in the first chapter like that's that that's something that like I I, I realized about one of my other shelf yeah I really like stories that, that like <laughs> that like I I like the way that I introduce my characters in the opener that I mm -hmm. have right now but like it is not as interesting and I and I've been feeling like insecure about it for a really long time and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to stick it on the shelf I'm like mm -hmm. I. Like, like, I can't feel this opening. Like, I like I feel like I'm, I'm not doing the right thing here, but I can't think of any other way to introduce these characters in a way that feels correct. Mm -hmm. And then I had this idea for, like, a shock opener. Yeah. Like, a really <laughs> fucked up, upsetting opener that would really set the tone for, like, yeah. where the story gets to towards the middle part of it. And I was like, that's the tone. That's what I need to Is hit. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes, that's, like, it's just really good form. It's just, like... If your story is going to be shocking, they need to, like, be shocked in, like, the first paragraph. Like, <laughs> there needs to be, like, an initial shock. Yeah. And then you, you wait it out for a little bit so that you can build back that tension up, and then you can hit them with the with the really nasty stuff, I think. Like, if you are looking at something, you should be able... Okay, okay. Like, if, um, if your story is, like, a painting, and, like, you look at a painting, I'm thinking of... what? Who's that guy who does all those little demons? Hieronymus Bosch? Yeah, yeah. If you're looking at a painting that like, you've never seen before by him, and you're like, wow, that's a lot of stuff going on, that's a book, <laughs> right? And then the book is then showing you every little part of it, and then you understand the whole at the end. <laughs> <laughs> 
you have to be able to build that intrigue as quickly as possible. Because, like, once you have, like, goodwill from an audience mm-hmm. has to be developed. And, like, you can build it very quickly, and it will last for a little while yeah. if you can hook that goodwill in yes. with your earliest material. And then they'll wait a little bit, and they'll be like, oh, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess. And then, when it gets to the the next big revelation point... That's the tension release for your audience. That's the gratification of getting what they came for. Like, balancing tension and release, I've I've probably talked about that before. Because it's one of the big things you'll hear or read people talk about in basically any writing course or book or whatever that's worth anything. And it's especially important in comedy and horror. And and this this you know childhood home I think mm-hmm. follows a similar kind of structure mm-hmm. like like we get pulled in immediately with the mystery of like hey there's a weird hole in my attic yeah yeah like, again the unfolding of this traumatic situation we also get like oh his dad kind of yelled at him oh there's a weird <laughs> and must there's a weird hole in my um house and then it becomes like a weird shaft and then it's like oh my dad was actually kind of weird during this time he forgot like important informations about my like childhood and then the shaft becomes like a spiraling tunnel and it's like oh my dad was like really absent etc you know like it just like yeah the unfolding of both simultaneously as well as this guy's decaying relationships around him is also sort of like undercurrent that we don't get as strongly but you get it he tries to text this friend and like does not get any information back yeah he, he doesn't seem to have anybody else that he contacts when he realizes he's going to die other than like steve and his brother right and it's like no one like he has eroded his social connections and also like we know he has like a high paying job and like and, like, one that he can do and work from home. Yeah, like... Which is, like, a kind of unusual thing for this point in the... in the. Yeah, like, what has he done socially to get this job? Because you usually get those jobs at that young age by being, like, either, like, inherited through yeah, nepotism, nepotism or you have been evil, period. <laughs> yeah, and, like, we don't even know what kind of field he even works in. Yeah. Like, we... he's, he's, he's very mum about personal details, Especially at first. Yeah, and, like, you get the idea, like, maybe at the end he probably isn't a good person, right? <laughs> like, he he starts considering people as he is dying. Like, the guy we get introduced in the first paragraph to the end, do you, like, I don't, if he was the same guy in that first period, first, like, passage, he probably would have taken his radioactive stuff up with him. But he decides not to because he has neighbors, and it's like... This thoughtfulness that comes with, like, him starting to die. Getting to the point of of realizing, like, the effect that he could potentially have on the people around him. Mm-hmm. Which, like, before it doesn't necessarily seem like he is, like, an evil person, but, but he seems like kind of like a... Like, he's kind of bro-y, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, he's, like, he's self-absorbed enough that he, like, doesn't consider his friend's feelings about the tunnel or that, like, that the danger it could be present. Yeah. And he is, like, confused, almost, about, like, how frustrated this guy who is, like, a serious climber yeah. is about the safety of him, you know, not going down into a mysterious tunnel by <laughs> himself when he has no climbing experience. 
with no skills. Yeah, like, he, calls, he can't, he doesn't understand, like, like, he can't empathize with this, his friend, who's, like, supposed to be, like, a friend. And it's, and it's also interesting, I was thinking, like, <laughs> not at all related, but, mm-hmm. like, thinking about, so, like, the friend is not given access to these lower levels of the uh-huh. house. Like, like, he, he physically cannot fit in there. He is being denied entry almost by the house itself. Yeah, yeah. Like, this isn't his struggle to have. Like, he can't... Yeah. Yeah, because this is a thing that belongs to the narrator. Like, this is his personal demon down there. Yeah, and it's like, the way that friends can't necessarily help you cope through a situation, even when they're your social network. Like, you have to do that work yourself, or you have to, like... Yeah be done in by the family trauma yourself like <laughs> only tangentially related i really like stories like this in like the way that like an amityville horror thing like stories about haunted houses and demonic like mm-hmm. possession in the way that like the radiation sort of is in that like you learn about the history of the house you learn about the neighborhood and you learn about the people who live there and that becomes like a like, a central theme to the story of this, like, history yeah. as a character itself. hmm Yeah, yeah, it's a very, like, you know, the, 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 silent, the thing everybody says about Silent Hill, like, Silent Hill is a character. Yeah, so this, I, I really enjoy that. So I really enjoy that here, too. A lot of the stories that we have talked about so far are very, like, location horror. To, like, touch upon, like, the stories we've covered before in the story... This does an interesting thing in the way other stories do, that it hits upon a cultural icon of a of a, of a mythos that gets appropriated. Right? It has the a natural cold. It has a decaying creature. It has a shift shaping mimic thing happening. Right? Mm-hmm. I think it's like it's <laughs> it's cool that we have some like we're covering so many stories. That kind of take this concept and like where they go with it. This does not seem to even be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's no consideration for that at all. Like, for something like Goatman or the Cabin Story or Fleshgate are really self consciously, I think, about Wendigos and Skinwalkers and about really explicitly borrowing that iconography. This just happens to also share characteristics that, like, I mean. These traits, like being a shapeshifter or a face stealer, or being associated with like extremes of temperature or decay or death omens, those things I think are just compelling to us. And this being written in, I'm pretty sure 2018, it's being written in a space where these concepts and, and bits and pieces are bouncing around and quite popular. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, I, I, I cannot imagine that the author no, ever just... for a minute was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> writing, like, a, like, a Winnego. Like, this is just... It's just, like, it's just interesting like, like that... Like a fucked up radiation monster. Yeah, it's just interesting the way it's sort of, like... Because the stories we have picked tackle this kind of mimicry beast. Yeah. And how, like, this is also that without, like, the person, like, hanging their hat on it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny how many like, iconic web horror stories are about doppelgangers and, and like, mimics. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I'm really scared of doppelgangers. I don't, <laughs> I don't think mimics 
fit. Like, it's really weird, like, the way I compartmentalize it, I guess. Like, the mimicry isn't as scary as the idea of a doppelganger kind of thing. But I also think mimicry is, like, is, like, spicy. Like, whenever a creature can mimic something, I think it's really spicy. But, like, the, the idea of seeing a doppelganger of yourself freaks me out really badly. Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's scary because, like... What if I saw a dude? If I'm me, what are you? Yeah! Like, how do I know you're not me? <laughs> I, find it, I often find it really hard to articulate, like, why things scare me. This is just a loose thought, but sort of, like... I don't think this is what the story's about, but, like, the kind of, like, idea of, like, mass-produced houses and, like, the use of, like, dangerous chemicals to make these houses as fast and cheap as possible... Like, dangerous yeah. materials is kind of, like, a thing I thought about. Then again, like, this th- th- this house is supposed to be, like, really old. Yeah, it's really old. I just, like, it just crossed my mind because, like, it's just something that's, like, you know, just, like, an interest of mine. It's just, like, <laughs> like this house is old, so it's, like, not what the author is intending, but it just, like, brought to mind, like, how you, like, don't really know what's, like, inside your house, right? Yeah. Which also, like, the, the, the age of the house is also... A weird thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, we associate the idea of radiation and radioactivity With as being, things. like, a very modern concept. Yeah. Like, it's existed. It's always existed. It's kind of like dolphins, where dolphins feel like they just were apart. <laughs> this creature's been trapped in the in this underground tunnel, which, like, first of all, how did they make that? Like, it, it kind of begs the question. Yeah! I think it's cool that we don't get it, It gives this really, really... Because, like, radiation is not magic. Radiation is, like, a real thing in our world. And this thing has, like, qualities that we would consider, like, fantastical and Mm -hmm. monstrous. Like, Like, it lives and yet conducts these massive amounts of radiation. It is able to, like, perfectly mimic a living creature Mm -hmm. and take its place. But it has this, like, like, this thing that's a part of our planet, a part of our, like, universe, this, like... It is just a radioactive animal. It, it's it's very, it is this weird combination of things that are, like, natural and things that are mythical. Yeah. I think that, like, summarizes the story really well. Yeah. What is real in our lives and yeah. what are the things that oh, we tell good. ourselves about our lives? That's really good. I Yeah, like, I made a note here about, like, sacred geometry in that the author literally points out that this is a shape found in nature but here yeah, it's, it's Fibonacci. Used, yeah but here it's used in like this constructed unnatural fantastical way so that like i really think that's like the framework the story is on is that like these things literally happen but these things are also like a fantastical metaphor for things that yeah. happened the Fibonacci spiral, mm-hmm. like, that is just, like, a pattern that we see in nature because it is, like, the most efficient way for things to develop in a lot of cases, right? Uh-huh, like, because uh-huh. that is just, like, the way that physics and space works in the real world, that, like, the most efficient pattern for a spiral to occur in is happens to have this specific ratio. And, like, we attribute that... We give we we give that special meaning because we are a creature that recognizes patterns really easily. Yeah. So it feels otherworldly that this happens, but is because we have this ability to recognize patterns that we notice. This. If we were like a yeah. creature that didn't recognize patterns, <laughs> we probably wouldn't have the same like 
connotation of it being important. Yeah. And, like, because we recognize patterns and we attribute meaning to patterns, we find meaning in things that are not there. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that's uh, something that the story is getting at. But, like, it, like, also involves, like, the cycles of abuse and, like, the cycles yeah. of, like, generational and, like, how money can connect problems other generations have to unrelated yeah. families. And the narrator brings up at, at a certain point, like, he's he's going back mentally through his entire childhood and, like, questioning everything mm-hmm. that he had previously just sort of, like, passed over. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, how much of that stuff was malice on the part of the mimic yeah and how much of it was just like an innocent thing how much of its own behavior is innocent or malicious yeah we we have no idea yeah does it understand that it's like that it is dangerous does it understand why it has been locked in the dark yeah yeah we we don't get much of that and it's like and it's like how much does an abusive person understand how much they're hurting people yeah that's really good and like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because you're still dying of radiation yeah. poisoning. <laughs> yeah, like, you you still have this wound that was caused by this this person regardless of what their intent was. And it, like, yeah, and it's, like, literally being, like, no matter how much you try and figure out, it doesn't matter because you are dying from gaping wound sores. <laughs> I, my final note that I've taken is that we cover a lot of stories that involve vomiting. <laughs> I mean, because because vomit is also like a really evocative image. It's it is it is one of the most like repulsive things to most people. It's like vomit and shit. Yeah, are are the two things that like most people find the most upsetting in terms of bodily fluids <laughs> that we can do with our human body. And it's like, people hate vomiting. People hate throwing up. Yeah. It feels bad. It makes your brain panic instinctively. Yeah. I just thought it was, like, <laughs> like an interesting, like, follow through the stories are, like, we have, like, a theme going on with that series. It's, like, we got, like, land-based stories, like, location-centric stories with, like, a creature of a certain, like, caliber and also puking. <laughs> I think we're both, like, f- really affected by, like, the liquids the human bodies can produce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't like puke. I don't like, I, I don't like basically any, I can handle blood for the most yeah. part, as long as it's not, like, super excessive gushing out of somebody, but, like. Like, listen, I can handle anything, because it's just, just things coming into my brain and it's not like you know like I feel like I have a a a healthy separation between images I see and like what they do to my brain I meant I meant like in in, in real life life, like like Uh, if I saw someone bleeding uh, you know yeah yeah like I can handle blood imagery can't handle vomit imagery very much Uh, yeah I think (laughs) huh I've never, I've, I've luckily never been in a situation where someone was bleeding excessively, so I don't really know how I <laughs> feel about that. I have a pretty, I'm probably fine. I was a janitor for a while. Yeah, like, I, I had to do janitor work. The worst thing that happened to me, I used to work at a gym. <laughs> you the worst did. thing that happened to me when I worked at a gym is that I used to, I, I used to clean 
out the restrooms, right, in Mm -hmm. in the gym locker rooms, Mm -hmm. and someone in one of the ladies' restrooms... Oh, no. Like, one of the bins that you are supposed to use to put, like, pads and tampons Uh in... Someone had peed into it. Oh, that's okay. Into that's the aw- bag. That's awful. So I just lift it up, and it's just full like, of urine. Oh, that's awful. People are beasts. <laughs> Unpleasant experience for me. Wild apes and fucking... <laughs> <laughs> the bathroom I had, the, the janitorial job of mine was connected to, like, this weird, like, multi-use building that was also, like, part bar and like people like a we work building i'm not sure what that is yes probably (laughs) we work was like um there's 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 like documentaries about we work we work was like a scam company basically it was like it was was like a startup where they would um like they would they would rent out office spaces yeah 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 oh my god it was just like that for for people to use for their own startups yeah, it was just like that. It, it felt very like people were laundering money in this building. <laughs> the building was for money laundering. It caught fire and, like, burned for, like, three days. But, like, <laughs> like before it was on fire, I was a janitor in it. <laughs> and and people would, like, Olympic level come on, like, the ceiling. And that's my relationship with janitorial duties. <laughs> Boy, it always comes back to cum on this podcast. Sponsored by cum. <laughs> the big, the the big oh. semen dollars. Do we have any any more thoughts on uh, on childhood home? Mm, just a really solid story. I hope that I hope the guy still writes who or whoever wrote this. Yeah. yeah. Hope you're still out there writing. I did have I have a line that I that oh, I wrote please, down because it, it hit me so hard. Please. It was the um when when he's down there mm-hmm. uh in the like walking down into the spiral. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually when he's coming up and realizing like like my God, how long have I been here? Yeah. Uh, it feels like I've been gone my entire life. It's so oh. cold. Everything freezes down there. Like talking about how time feels like it just was not moving while well down there, and it was just oh like God. oh, like like that's yeah, it's such a good line. Especially while I was thinking about like like the metaphor that was going on, where it was like while he's doing this like this basically deep dive into his own fucking psyche, yeah, and it's like everything fades away except for the need to know was my father a monster? Oh. Yeah, it's just it's like that's really real like the kind of like emotional work you do is going to take you away from like present time life and that you can get like lost in it it's just like the story is really raw like in a good way like not like raw (laughs) unrefined but like raw and like just like a like nerve ending hot story so yeah that's our i i guess that's our that's our final where we come down on it right good story good story go read it op hope you're still writing hope you're doing okay yeah like thank you i i stand for my president (laughs) support my tubes (laughs) 
well, it looks like we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. What do you think of this one? Leave a comment and tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. If you liked the show, go ahead and leave a like or a review and share it with your friends. We're a small, independent podcast. We don't advertise, so we need word of mouth to grow. As always, links to the story and our social media will be in the description. On our next episode, we will be reading the Something Awful Slenderman thread. This has been the Creepypasta Book Club. Thank you, and good night.